0: We're going to be in Esther chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 this morning. In the first month, which is the month of Nassan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day. And they cast it month after month, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, do to them with In the name of King Hazarus, and sealed with the king's signet ring, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion." Have you ever been given information before that causes you to have a knot in your stomach? Perhaps it was being told that you have cancer. Maybe you were brought in by your boss to learn that your job is going away. What about that dreaded moment in school when the teacher is passing out the test scores and you know that you failed the test? Maybe it didn't happen to many of you, but it happened to me quite often. There's nothing worse than just hoping by the grace of God that somehow God intervened and changed the score of that test, right? So there's this feeling of this knot in your stomach. Maybe you have a big presentation at work or school, and you have this feeling of dread that comes over you until it's over. And the Jews in our passage today most certainly would have had this feeling of impending doom, this knot in their stomach type moment, as they find out that their existence as a people is in jeopardy. So in this text today, as we work our way through this passage, we see a revengeful official, a careless king, and a nation in danger. A revengeful official, a careless king, and a nation in danger. Number one, a revengeful official. Now, the author gives us some important information historically in verse 7 when we're told that this incident takes place in the twelfth year of Ahasuerus' reign. For those of you that like to know dates, the twelfth year of Ahasuerus' reign would have been around 474 B.C. We're also told the month at which this happens, the Jewish month of Nisan, which correlates to our March-April, but it is the first day, the first month of the Jewish calendar. And we're told that the royal officials are casting lots And we know about casting lots because it's throughout the Bible. It's something that we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We actually see Jesus' clothes being raffled, basically, through the casting of lots while he is dying on the cross. We also see in Acts chapter 1 that after Judas has betrayed Jesus and lost his role as a disciple, that the remaining followers of Jesus cast lots in Acts chapter 1 to see who will replace Judas as the 12th disciple. Casting lots is a divine way of asking God for an answer to questions about the future. And these lots were small clay cubes similar to dye that we would throw playing a board game. Now, this wasn't an activity that only the Jewish people participated in. This was a practice that many pagan cultures also participated in to their gods. And we're not told explicitly in the text why these officials are casting lots. But we learn in verse 13 that the reason they're participating in this activity is to determine when Haman's plan should be implemented to destroy God's people. And the month selected for the carrying out of this plan is the month of Adar, which would correlate to basically our February-March timeline. Now, most commentaries are quick to point out that even though these Persian royal officials are casting lots, seeking their gods to determine... When they should carry out this plan that the sovereign God of the universe, Yahweh, is in full control over this whole process. It may be these Persian officials rolling the dice, but Yahweh will determine when this plan will happen. God's providence is on display even in the casting of lots. And in verse 8, Haman approaches Ahasuerus to devise and to promote his plan for the elimination of the Jewish people. And it's in verses 8 and 9 that we see the intensity of Haman's revenge towards Mordecai. First, Haman makes assumptions about the Jewish people. Now while it's true that some of their laws were different... He didn't have any evidence that all of the Jewish people throughout the kingdom of Persia refused to bow down. He only had evidence that one Jew refused to bow down. And yet, he's making these assumptions because when revenge takes over in our heart, oftentimes we lose track of the facts and we make assumptions on people. And this is what Haman is doing. But don't overlook what Haman is saying here. He does say that the Jewish people have laws that are different from many of the other people around them. And that's very important because from the very beginning of the covenant that God established with his people, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, God's chosen and holy people were always designed to be set apart. Always. God's people are set apart from everyone else. God's people might not abide by all of the laws within the country in which they live. Especially if these laws would cause God's people to disobey or violate His commands. So the question for us, the application for us is, how different are we from those around us? How are we living set-apart, holy lives? In our words, in our actions, in our thoughts? How are our families different in any way from all of the families that live around us? Are we a set-apart people? What about our congregation? How are we, as a local expression... Of the church. How is 1st Baptist Dothan a set apart people from other people that live in our community? Peter encourages the church in exile in the New Testament to think of themselves this way But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The goal is not just to be different for the sake of being different. But God's people in a culture that is progressing further and further away from biblical truth should stand out. So Haman looks at Mordecai, who refuses to bow down and says, Because of Mordecai's faithfulness to Yahweh, I'm going to eliminate the entire Jewish race. Number two, we also see Haman's revenge, which leads him to desiring to annihilate the whole. Nation Again, it was only Mordecai who refused to bow down, but his hatred has extended beyond Mordecai himself to anyone who is affiliated with the Jewish religion. Does this sound familiar? We have tragic examples throughout world history of entire groups of people being wiped out simply because they were hated by another certain group of people. We also see Haman expending financial resources to ensure that his plan would take place. We're told in the text, 10,000 talents of silver. We don't know what talents are. So for us, that would be the equivalent of 75,000 pounds of silver. Haman is speaking to the king and he's trying to reach his heart. By this element. Because Ahasuerus loves money. In fact, when you read the commentaries, most commentators think that Haman actually didn't have this amount of silver to give. But he just threw out some huge number to see if Ahasuerus would bite at it. And he did. And one of the reasons he bit at it is the Greek historian Herodotus from this era tells us that the Persians had been involved in a war against the Greeks. And they had exhausted a lot of their financial resources in attempting to defeat the Greeks. And so because Haman told the king, look, I'll give you 75,000 pounds of silver if you will let me execute this plan to kill and annihilate God's chosen people. Haman here shows us the depth of evil That a person is willing to go to when revenge remains in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, if we have bitterness or anger towards people, let's confess our sin to the Lord and ask Him to heal this desire for revenge that we have in our hearts. Revenge is not the way of a Christ follower. Jesus himself actually gives us the best example of this. When he's dying on the cross, here is what he says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though Haman is certainly not a Christian, I think his example here is a good reminder to all of us who are attempting to faithfully follow Jesus that the danger of revenge exists if we allow hatred and bitterness to take fruit in our heart. Number two, we also see a careless king. Now, I'm being nice to Ahasuerus in this passage because I wanted to call him a cowardly king. And that's true also. But for the purposes of the PowerPoint, I'll call him a careless king. Ahasuerus gives away his signet ring to Haman. The ring was the visible evidence of the king's authority towards his people. And he just carelessly gives it away. Because Ahasuerus is guilty of abusing his authority as king. Most of the time, when we think of high-ranking officials abusing authority, we think of them overextending their reach, oppressing the people under them. That's not actually how Ahasuerus is abusing his authority in this passage. Do you know how he's abusing his authority in this passage? He doesn't care. Apathy is just as much an abuse of someone's authority as being oppressive towards those under them. I would argue that Hazarus is just a lazy king. He just doesn't really care as long as he's left alone to sit in his wealth and sit in his excess. If you are someone who has authority, you are not only responsible for not overextending your authority and being oppressive in your authority, but you're also responsible for not being careless in your authority, not being apathetic. Now, I can only speak for my profession as a pastor, and there are certainly stories out there of pastors who overexert their authority, who oppress their people, bully pastors. You've heard that term before. But there are just as many pastors who are abusing their authority by being lazy, by not faithfully proclaiming the truth of the gospel by being careless. And you know why they do that? Or you know why we as pastors can sometimes do that? It's because we oftentimes, myself included, fear men more than we fear God. There's a wonderful book that I came across earlier in the year. I'd never read it before. It's been out a long time. It's called, When People Are Big and God Is Small. And in that book, he argues that Scripture gives three reasons why human beings are prone to fear each other rather than God. Reason number one, we often fear people because they can expose or humiliate us. Reason number two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule, and despise us. And then number three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. I would argue that in this passage, Ahasuerus gives over his authority to Haman, probably for one of these three reasons that I just mentioned. So a great prayer for those in authority, not just pastors, but civic leaders, bosses at your office, whoever you know that has authority, a great prayer for you to pray for those in authority would be this, that they always fear God more than they fear man. You want a prayer to pray for your pastoral staff? That's it. That we would fear God more than we fear you. That we would have our consciences bound always to the Word of God. Pray that in our decision-making about the church and the future of the church would always be guarded by God's Word and that we would not fear man when it comes to deciding, should we be faithful to Scripture or should we be faithful to those in the pews? I don't think you have to figure it out That our pastoral staff is young. And we could easily fall into the trap of making decisions that would just please people. At the expense, even, of being obedient to God and His Word. We could make decisions that would keep the peace of the church, even at the expense of being obedient to God's Word. Unity within the body of Christ is of the utmost importance, but it is never more important than obedience to God himself in his word. Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm about to drop a bomb on y'all and change everything. But I want you to be faithfully praying for your pastoral staff that we would always be men of integrity who fear God more than we fear man. Whether that be those in the church, those in government, those in the community. That we would not make decisions based on what other people want us to do. But based on the truth of God and His Word. So pray. That as we faithfully search the scriptures to examine how we as a church should operate in terms of evangelism and discipleship and shepherding and missions and singing and preaching, that we would never compromise what God's word teaches on these issues, even if it means that we are not liked or misunderstood. Welch says this in his book The most radical treatment for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. God must be bigger to you than people are. This antidote takes years to grasp. In fact, it will take all of our lives. So Ahasuerus gave up his authority willingly and carelessly, not because he feared God, but because he wanted to remain popular with Haman and his royal officials. Even though he knew the Jewish people had done nothing wrong. He didn't fear Yahweh because he didn't worship Yahweh, but he did desire to be respected and affirmed by those under him. And so he made decisions in a way that would keep him popular with his subjects. This is why he is a careless and cowardly king. Which leads to number three, a nation in danger. In the remaining verses, We see the plan that Haman has constructed. The signet ring has been handed over to him. And now he has all of the power. And the scribes came together on the 13th day of Nisan. And that is significant. Because on the 14th day of Nisan, the Jewish people always celebrated the Passover. And an edict was written To everyone in the kingdom, all of the leadership. And we're told that it was written in the name of the king and sealed with his ring. And this ring was the stamp of approval and the stamp of authority that everyone in the empire needed to carry out and execute this plan. And in verse 13, we're given the details. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces. With instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. This is the not-in-your-stomach moment for the Jewish people. They have been informed that on the 13th day of this month, they will all be killed. Imagine what must have been going through their minds. They were the ones who made the decision to stay in Persia. They did not go back to Jerusalem like so many of their countrymen and women And up to this point, God had been faithful to his covenant promises. He delivered them from Egyptian slavery. He gave them bread and manna in the wilderness. He led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that they could have victory over their enemies in the promised land. He provided judges to rule and guide them even in the midst of their disobedience. And he even granted them their request to have a king so that they could be like all of the nations around them. And he even protected them when Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, because he allowed his people not to die, but to be sent into exile. So the question now, in this moment, for God's people, is would God now, in another time of need, remain faithful to his people, even though they had been unfaithful to him so many times before? Would he abandon them in the hour of their most desperate need? That is the question that the text leaves us with today. And the final sentence of this chapter is perhaps the most disgusting verse in the whole chapter. Because Ahasuerus and Haman, we're told, go back to their normal lives, living in indulgence and excess, drinking and partying, while we're told by the author, the entire city of Susa is thrown into confusion over this edict. A revengeful official and a careless king move on with their lives as an entire nation is in danger. So the question is, does God care about the Jewish people in this story? The bigger question would be, does God care about you and me? How do we know that God cares for us? And the answer is profoundly simple. We know God cares for us because of Jesus. Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the gospel is that God does care because he sent his son at an infinite cost to himself to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. We have inherited Adam's sin nature. And yet, through the obedience of Christ, we can be made righteous. Romans five eighteen and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If God didn't care about you, He would not have sent His Son plain and simple. He would not have offered His Son's righteousness in exchange for your sin and my sin. On the cross, there is a transfer taking place. Our sin transferred to Christ. Christ's righteousness transferred to us. You only do that if you love someone. Listen to this beautiful description connecting the gospel to Esther. The edict for our destruction could legitimately have been signed against us by our great king. But that is not how God, the true sovereign king, has chosen to deal with us. Instead, he has taken his own dear son, the one who is precious to him, as a signet ring, and has handed him over to his enemies to buffet. God said, in effect, Satan, do with my son as seems good to you. Let him be punished for sin, but let his people go. Destroy, kill, annihilate Jesus, for sin must be paid for. Plunder his few goods and distribute them among those who are putting him to death. Torture and mock him. Execute him on a cross. But as for my people, you shall not Touch them. You see, Ahasuerus gave his authority away to kill, while Jesus gave his authority away to save. When your emotions and your thoughts and your circumstances lead you to believe that God doesn't care about you, you go back to the cross. When you have that knot in your stomach, that feeling of impending doom, you go back to the cross. If you are lost in your sin today and destined for hell, come to the cross and receive the righteousness of Christ in exchange for Christ taking on your sin. And if you have been a believer in Christ for 50 years, joyfully following after Him, let me encourage you every morning when you wake up to remember the cross. Because that is where our hope lies. The gospel is that your death sentence, apart from God in hell forever, can be pardoned because of Jesus handing over his authority so that you could be made right with God. Let's pray. God, as we now enter into this time of communion, we ask that you keep our hearts focused. Normally, after the sermon, we know the service is almost over. So give us minds and hearts that can stay focused during this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.